Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so right out the gate, you know, God tells Moses, I want you to speak to them and I want you to tell them, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. When God tells us to be holy, um, some people look at that and they think, man, how can I be like God? God's perfect in holiness. He's pure. He's absolutely righteous. Um, there's nothing foul or, or dark within him. He's pure as he can be. When he tells us to be holy, the idea for us is that we be set apart for him. God said, I want you to be completely set apart for me. Do you ever get discouraged with how unlike God you are? We fall short every single day, and yet we're called to be like Jesus. Why would God give us an impossible instruction? Well, in today's message, Pastor Bill reminds us that when God calls us to be holy, he's telling us to be set apart from the rest of the world. Don't be afraid to be different. When you're distinct, you draw attention. And when you have people's attention, you get the opportunity to tell them the gospel is why you're different. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. As God is giving commandments, God is telling his people, speaking to the children of Israel, he's telling them things to do, things not to do. Remember, the goal is that God is taking the children of Israel into the promised land. They're getting ready to go into Canaan. And while the land is awesome, the land has fruits and honey and all these great things, the land has been possessed by people that had pagan practices. And so God is preparing them as they get ready to go into an environment that's very dark. He's saying, guys, don't pick that up. Don't do that. The whole study was on God saying, don't go pick up on their sexual practices. They do weird stuff over there in Canaan. And so we talked about everything that God said, don't do. Um, and he, he made those things clear. But this week, there's a lot of other various practices. I couldn't even give a, a title to the chapter because there's so many things that he's going to speak on. So let's look right. Let's look at it. Chapter one. I'm sorry. Chapter 19, verse one. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. And so right out the gate, you know, God tells Moses, I want you to speak to them and I want you to tell them, be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. When God tells us to be holy, um, some people look at that and they think, man, how can I be like God? God's perfect in holiness. He's pure. He's absolutely righteous. Um, there's nothing foul or, or dark within him. He's pure as he can be. When he tells us to be holy, the idea for us is that we'd be set apart for him. God said, I want you to be completely set apart for me. I want, I want your life to be set apart for me only. I want you to be holy for I, the Lord, your God, I am holy. God is holy in that he is set apart for specific purposes. There are things that God will not do. There are things that the Bible says God cannot lie. There are things that just don't fit in with his character. He is absolutely holy. He says, therefore, I want a holy people. I want you guys to be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Verse three, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord, your God. So right on the heel, the very first thing God says, I want you to do. I want you to revere your mother and father. I want you to have respect for your parents and I want you to keep my Sabbaths. Why is that a big deal to God? Why would it matter to God? Why is that the first thing he brings up? I want you to honor your parents. I believe this. Um, obviously, in the ten, as he gave out the Ten Commandments, he said, this is the first command with a promise that you may live long on the earth. But this is also, I believe this with all my heart. That if a child grows up and they revere and have a, a right respect, a right fear, a right honor for their parents, 
it allows the parents to have fruitful instruction in that kid's life. If a kid is rebellious and disobedient, then the parent's going to have a really hard time instructing them. And the idea is this. What is the ultimate job of every parent? Every parent here, God bless you with children. What's the main objective with the kids? What's the goal? In the Lord. Raise them in the Lord. The, the, the goal of parenting is, God, you gave them to me and I got to get them back to you. The goal is getting them to God, is leading them to the Lord, training them up in the way they should go. And so God says, look, if they won't listen to you, they're going to have a hard time listening to me. If you don't train them up, they don't revere you, they don't respect you. When you say do something, they say, I don't got to do it or whatever. God, it'll be real difficult when it comes between me and them because how many of us know that God tells us to do what we don't want to do? How many times does God tell me not to do the stuff that I want to do? But if we've learned submission, if we recognize, now I fear the Lord. There's a reverence, there's a respect, there's, a, there's an aspect of my understanding of who God is that says, even though I don't want to, he said do it, and I, I know I have better do what he said do. And so that comes in parenting. You know, we, we train our kids up. How do you get a kid to a place of reverence? You know, some parents do it wrong. Some parents are, are irate, angry, you know, they threaten and, and, and almost like I'm going to pump you into, that's not what God wants. That's a wrong picture. Um, there are parents that abuse. That's not what God wants. It's got to be a balanced, holy thing where I love you, I speak to you, I teach you, I train you, and when need be, I'll tear that butt up. And so that's where it comes. That's where a kid will say like, you know, that's where words begin to have some teeth. I remember when my dad was living with us, I remember I was a very good kid. I was a great kid when my dad was at home. Some of that may have been because of my age, but I just remember being completely obedient, you know, because my dad could just say, hey, 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 cut that out. And it was like, cool. Your dad said, that was, you know, you didn't, you didn't go beyond that. If my dad, he didn't yell. My dad wasn't mean. He wasn't angry. He would say, hey, hey, stop that. And we were out in company, in public. He didn't have to say nothing. My dad could just look at you. He'd get your eye contact. And he'd look at you and go, and you knew that meant stop. Whatever you were doing, stop. And if you didn't stop, then when you got home, my dad would get the belt. And my dad was so cool with it. I had a, a toy box that was a bench. And my dad would say, sit down. And I'd sit down on the bench. And I'm trying to cry my way out of it. But I ain't getting out of it because the belt is there. And he would do the little snap. Everybody know I do the little belt snap. He would sit there and just snap. He said, now, what did you do wrong? <laughs> you told me something. Okay, so you understand what you did wrong. Yes, okay, lay down. And he would get me. I mean, he would tear it up. And afterwards, he say, I love you. I, I don't want to have to do this again. Now, next time, I need you to listen when I tell you. Be, I'll be just like that. And next time, my dad would say, hey, hey, mm -mm. yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> I mean, and, and I, the majority of time, I enjoyed a loving relationship, love and hugs and tickles and play. But every once in a while, um, that was in play. It was good for me. When my dad left, I remember this. I remember my dad left in the first couple spankings I got from my mom. And it was like, it's not like with dad. It just didn't hurt. You know, it was like, that's it. And I remember back then I started reasoning like, all right, if I do this, I'm probably going to get caught. If I get caught, I get a spanking, but it's just for my mom. I'm going to do it. And, and, and discipline left with that. So that's healthy. Now, that's from the parents' part for you kids, right? God tells children, it's this commandment to the kids. Have a reverence for your parents. If you say you're a Christian, you say Jesus is the Lord of your life, then you need to obey and honor your parents. And Interesting that whenever the Bible tells us to honor, respect our parents, he never says if they're honorable or respectable. He just says, because I'm the Lord. Do it because I said so. 
Do it because I'm God. Don't do it because they're perfect because a lot of what our kids like to do, because some of us don't have a squeaky clean past. Well, you did it, Dad. I sure did. I sure did. I, I'm not going to lie about it, but you're not going to do it. I don't know if you guys saw this, all the drama in Baltimore. Some kid was out there rioting and tearing up, and his mama saw him. And she went out there, and she, they got it on the news. She went out there and snatched him up. She knew who he was with the hood on and the mask on, and she snatched him up, and she was molly him up and back and saying, take that mask off, take that mask off. She was not having it, you know? And, and then, they, you know, I, I saw an interview they did. I mean, I'm sure he's very embarrassed, but uh, they did an interview with the kid, and uh, all he could say was, I'm just going to do better. <laughs> I bet you're going to do better. You know, <laughs> mama got that tail, man. You know, so God says there's something important about the relationship between children and parents. It's important to him. He created the whole dynamic. It's God's fault that when moms and dads get intimate and get together, mom starts swelling up and the baby comes. God said, I did that. I gave you that baby. I, I made that baby. And I, and I want that child to grow up and I want them to have a reverence and a respect for their parents. And again, whether they're respectable or not, whether they're perfect or not, whether they have, whether you can see their flaws or not, you do it because he's the Lord and you say you follow after him. Um, it's a command in, in, in Exodus 20 that says, if you do so, it, it'll be well with you on the earth. Some people, it's not going well with them. There's some kids that it's not going well with them because they're not right with their parents. They're not doing right. There's some grown folks, adults, that ain't right with their parents. This thing doesn't end. Like, when do I have to stop honoring them when they go and pass on? Until the Lord comes back, until, I'm, until we're done. If you're blessed to have parents alive now and you don't have a decent relationship with them, work that out. As much as it's possible with you, you work it out. But you be in a position where you reverence them and you show them love and respect because God says so. Amen? Then he says this, let every one of you shall revere his mother and father. Then he says, and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord. The Sabbath for the Israelites was a day that God has set apart for them to worship. It was a day where no work, nothing else was to have. This day is about me and you. Now, of the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath day rest is the one of the Ten Commandments that's not reiterated in the New Testament. Um, over in Colossians, Paul says, let no one judge you in regards to Sabbath days, new moons, holy days, that we're not under this restriction like they were. So I won't let the Seventh-day Adventist folk bring me under, you know, condemnation because we worship on Sunday instead of Saturday and blah, blah, blah. And that's a whole thing. God says, now I am your rest. Right. When you look at the Sabbath day laws, it was pretty horrendous. I mean, you had to stop cooking at a certain time. You had to stop working. You couldn't go. You couldn't travel. But so far on, on the Sabbath day, that day was set apart for you to be with the Lord. I do think it's important for us to have time with the Lord every day. I think it's in time. I think we do need to have time. We set aside to everybody. We need rest. And sometimes we be going and going and going and going. And God's like, you need to take a break. You need to pump the brake. Stop. Just get away and be with me. We need it. But we're not under the law to have it. So, but for them there, they were. I am the Lord. Verse four, do not turn to idols, nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord, your God. Um, it's interesting. When you look up the word idols, it means nothings. Literally, the word idols right there means nothings. God says, don't make, don't turn to nothings. And it's interesting that when we won't worship the true and living God, everybody, because we've been created to worship. When we won't worship God, we'll all worship, everybody worship something. A lot of people worship themselves. Some people worship their thing. Some people worship their status, their position. But everybody worships something. There are people that they won't worship God. They find some other form of religion, some other form of worship. The Israelites struggle with this. 
They had access to the true and living God. They had supernatural encounters on a regular basis. God feeding them with manna from heaven and water out of rocks and quail. I mean, God was doing miraculous things all around them. But they kept looking back to Egypt saying, man, we want, they, got, they got God you can see. I want a God I can feel. I want a God I can touch. I want, I want something that's the substantial. They got gods. That they, they, you can have one in your pocket. You can have one in the living room. And you can go out and see a big one. They wanted, they wanted a God. They didn't want to worship God by faith. And sometimes we're like that. I, I, want, I want something I can see. I want to feel something. Well, it's, you can feel something if you want to. But God said, don't do it. Don't, don't be making idols. Don't be worshiping nothings. Worship me. The thing is, it takes faith. I, to worship God, I got to do it by faith. You guys remember the story when Moses was up on Mount Sinai having an interaction with the Lord, getting the Ten Commandments. God was writing him with his finger on stones. What was happening down the hill? People was complaining. The Aaron's down there saying, well, bring me all your earrings. Bring me all your gold and all your stuff. And they made, he said, I'm going to make us a God. And he made them the golden calf. He put it together and molded it with all of their gold, all of their possessions. He took them and he made this golden calf. And they said, this is who led us out of Egypt. And they worshiped it. And they were dancing around it and worshiping it. And Moses comes down the, the mountain and he looks and sees that mess. He throws them tablets of stone down and he's hot. Moses had a temper. He, was a, he said he was the meekest man, but when he got mad, I mean, Moses, he, he ground that thing up in a powder and told him to drink it. You know, I mean, they were, that's what they were doing. And you think, why would this people that God led out of Egypt, that God did all these miracles for, what was it about a golden calf? Like, why, is that, why does that even excite them? What's the draw to that? It didn't require faith to worship a golden calf. It was shiny. You could see it. You could touch it. It was visible. It didn't require faith. We need to all be careful about looking for a way to worship that doesn't require faith. God, I don't want to have to trust. I don't want to, I'm sick of believing what I can't see. I don't want to pray. I don't hear anything. I pray, I don't, I, 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 but God says, that's how, you, that's how, that's how you got to come to me. He who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is rewarder of those that diligently seek him. We come by faith to the Lord. And so God said, don't turn to idols, nor make for yourself molded gods. I am the Lord, your God. You know, any God that you can make with your hands is not a God at all. You made it with your hands. It's a thing you made with your hands, not a God. Verse five. And if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. I'm going to read down to verse eight. It shall be eaten the same day that you offer it and on the next day. And if it remains until the third day, it shall be burned with fire. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the hollowed offering of the Lord and that person shall be cut off from his people. So here's the thing here. God says with regard to the peace offering, which was a, a sweet offering. It was an offering that they would offer up to God. It was a fellowship offering. God is a peace offering. I bring it to you as it offered up. Part of it gets burned up for the Lord. Another part of it, I eat. it's like having a meal with God, a fellowship thing. God says two things about the fellowship meal, the peace offering. One, if you notice what he said in verse five, the end of verse five, you shall offer it of your own free will. It's got to be free will. If you're going to have fellowship with the Lord, if you're going to offer a peace offering, God says you can't be coerced. Mama can't drag you down and make you have fellowship with me. It's got to be something that you said, I want to do this. I, I, I want to offer this to the Lord. I want to have fellowship with the Lord. My own choice. My own free will. I want to spend some time with the Lord. I'm offering this thing up that me and God can spend some time together. So first, it's got to be free will. So everybody here needs to be careful and cautious about anything that we would do for God that's coerced by somebody else. Um, now, I understand as parents, 
You know, we're encouraging our kids and pointing them in a direction and showing them certain things. And we should. You should bring them to church. You should encourage them to read certain things like that. But what we're, what we're looking for, what we're looking for to happen in our kids' lives is that I'm looking for all of them to come to a place where on their own, they want to go be with the Lord. We're just trying to lead them to that place. I can't make my kids love the Lord. I can't make them serve God. I can't make them fellowship with God, but I can point them. I can teach them. I can show them how. I can encourage them too. But everybody's got to come to their own. God said, I, I want it to be, I want it to be our fellowship time. I want that to be something that you offer up on your own accord, free will. And then he said, I, I don't want it to be after three days. If you eat it on the first day, cool. If you got something left and you eat it on the second day, cool. On third day. And there's a whole bunch I can say about the third day, but we won't do that tonight. But if you wait till the third day, he says, go ahead and burn it up. It's too late. What is, that t- what is that teaching us? So I want fellowship with me to be something that you do of your own free will, but I want it to be fresh. I want it to be fresh. I don't want no stale. Just, you need to do another offering then. If you we waited two days, you can do it again. I wanted it to be of my own free will, but God said, I want it to be fresh. Anybody here, I don't know if you guys do, I, I know in my family, you know, everybody in my family brings home food from restaurants, but the women in my house don't eat it. They'll bring it home, and I'm like, they, they, they went to Lucille's or somewhere, and, and I'm seeing all the, the styrofoam containers in the fridge, but I'm like, I don't know why they do it, because most of the time, nine times out of ten, they don't eat it after they bring it home in that thing. Something about the way it looked at the plate at the restaurant changes when it get into that styrofoam container and the fridge get to it. So I helped myself. So me, me and Billy puts it to rest. Sometimes they will eat it, but I'm just saying. But after three, four days, you want to eat that? Lucille's good when you go there on, on that day. But four days later, I don't know. It's just looking like dog food, you know? It's looking like a snack for the, for the, for the dogs, you know? So, guys, I want fellowship to be of your own free will, but I want it to be fresh. And let it be something that's a regu- on a regular basis. We need to be coming to the Lord regularly and having time that we choose to spend with him on our own on a regular basis. Look at verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So this is God's welfare system for Israel, which is better than what we got going today. There's a weakness in our welfare system where people get something for nothing. And when you give somebody something for nothing, after a while, it's hard to get somebody to do something. There are people on welfare. There are people on different types of aid where it's like, well, if I get a job, I'm getting all this for nothing. And if I take that job, I'm only gonna get that much. And they start measuring it out, what I get for nothing and what I get for something. And for some people, this actually cripples them, um, that they don't get out there and do something. God's welfare system was a little better thought out. God said, when you glean your fields, when you go out there and reap your fields, he says, I want you to leave the corners and I want you to take all the grapes, leave some stuff out there. And the stuff that you leave, you're leaving it for those that are poor. And the poor, you're going to allow them to come and glean through your fields. You guys remember the the book of Ruth? We went through it not not too long ago. Well, that was how she ended up out there and met her man Boaz. She was out there gleaning in Boaz's field. Boaz, you come on and don't don't glean nowhere else, girl. You glean in these fields. I got some good good for you. And he had the guys leaving extra bundles of stuff falling down. She was going home with, with piles of stuff, you know. But that was God's welfare. So you're still working. It still left them with some dignity. I went out and I worked hard all day gleaning because it ain't like the first people coming through the crops. They get all the stuff. I got to work a little harder gleaning what's left over. But they working and they getting something and their needs are met. And that was God's way of taking care of the poor. So it, it should be pointed out that 
throughout Scripture, God cares for the poor. And God's people should also care for the poor. God cares about them. God's always made a provision for them. As God's people, it should be something that we care about. When you see somebody lacking, when you see somebody that doesn't have, it ought to be just automatic if you can, that you feed people and you take care of those sort of needs. It just should be automatic for the Christian that um, somebody poor, but you can't eat. I know we see people out there begging everywhere and they're trying to get over sometimes. But if somebody say I'm hungry, I usually do this. I look, I look around and see where is the nearest place to eat. You want something from right there? I'll get you something from right there. And I've had people say, yes, please. Oh, thank you so much. And they eat it up. Praise the Lord. Fed them. I've had people say, I said, I'll take you right there. I don't really like that. You're not hungry. <laughs> you know what I'm I mean, if you're hungry and somebody say, I'm going to buy you something to eat, you just say yes. But that's how I test them out. Me and me, I was with my son, and BJ's got a, a real sweetheart. And he seen a guy out there, and the guy was begging. And um, I, I said, you know, I said, everybody begging. Sometimes people, you know, really need something. Some people, they want money to go buy something bad, son. You know, how, he said, Dad, how do you know? I said, well, sometimes you kind of test it. So I did it. I said, well, let's go ask a guy. We'll, we'll offer to buy him something. I was at the, the Starbucks. We'll offer to buy him something at Wingstop or Panda, one of those two places. We're right next door. And I told the guy, I said, hey, if you want something to eat, we'll take you here or there, buy you anything you want to eat. And the guy said, man, you know, I'm really tired of eating those things. I, 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 there's something I want to get wet down around the way if you could just give me the money. I said, have a good night, sir. So I told BJ, I said, look, if he was really hungry, he had, he had wings and he had multiple options that had panda. Brother's not hungry. You know, we're going to keep it moving. So, but we just need to be mindful as Christians that we should be looking for, as we have opportunity, we want to take care of those that have need. It's a blessing to be in a place to be able to feed somebody. The Bible says more blessed to give than to receive. Um, the Bible says if you lend to the Lord, I mean, with this thing about that, when you give to the poor, he says you're lending to the Lord. When you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord. Not loan to some people, and you're never going to get it back. But God said when you give to the poor, it's like lending it to me. You know, it'll come back eventually. You'll, he'll take care of us. So we want to be faithful about that. Verse 11, another set of rules now. You shall not steal nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. So God says, just in, in your dealings with one another, don't, don't steal, don't deal falsely, don't lie to one another. All different forms of deception. If I steal from you, I'm tricking you. I'm, I'm taking something, I don't want you to know I took it, I'm stealing from you. I'm, I'm taking something that belongs to you for myself, if I deal falsely with you, I'm deceiving you in some way. If I lie to you, I'm, I'm being deceptive. God says, I don't want you to be that way. As Christians, we want to be careful to not be people that walk in the dark. The Bible says that Satan is the prince and power of the air, that he's, he functions in the dark. And John 8, says Satan is the father of all lies. And when he tells a lie, he's speaking of his own resources. He's the father of lies. That's what he does. So God says as believers... I don't want you guys walking in that kind of deception. Don't deal falsely with each other. Don't lie to one another. Don't steal from each other. Don't defraud one another. Um, and this he's speaking to, the, to, to his people. So it'd be like he's saying to the church, hey, y'all, don't steal from each other. I mean, it would be a shame if we were here and you couldn't leave your purse sitting down here among us. Um, you can't leave your iPad sitting around around us. That would be a shame. I understand when you out there, you got to kind of hold it in tight. But here uh, among the body of God's people, it just should be different. It should be different. Um, and so God was telling them, he's instructing them because it ought to be different around his people. Moving on in verse 13, he says, you shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. So God says, you guys shouldn't 
rob one another, you shouldn't cheat each other. And if I agree to pay you a wage, you work for the day and I agree to pay you this much money. Back then they had day workers. And if you work for the day, you were looking for that pay for the day because it was usually enough to eat for the day. And so God said, if you owe him wages for the day, you have it. Don't let that money stay with you overnight where he go home hungry and you have his money at home. You take care of that. You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Leviticus is full of relevant content that can still be applied to us today. Yes, even the Old Testament book that seems to just be full of rules and regulations. It's full of the grace of God. No matter how many times the Israelites seem to misunderstand or misjudge God, He still forgave them. He still gave them chance after chance and gave them what they needed. How many times in your life can you see that God has done the same for you? He gives grace even when we make mistakes. He gives grace even when we don't deserve it. He gives us chance after chance after chance. There is no one else like Him. If you're struggling with your own mistakes and are having a hard time accepting the grace of God, we'd love to connect and pray for you. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that number is 310-245-4811. And if you're ever in the Inglewood area, we want to meet you in person. Our service times are on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit in person, we stream our services online too. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryInglewood.org. Again, that website was CalvaryInglewood.org. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Leviticus, and you won't want to miss it. Learn more next time right here on A Transforming Word.